Julia Davenport knew something was wrong. You see, there seemed to be a connection with her orgasms and men dying, so she took meds to suppress them and faked her orgasms. But one unfortunate day, something went terribly wrong that set her off on a journey to becoming New York's newest superhero, Off Girl. Off Girl is an ongoing comic series created and written by Tina Fine and illustrated by Mark Rahill that pushes the envelope of the standard superhero. Irreverent, provocative, and fun with amazing art to showcase the story, Off Girl is a comic you won't want to miss. Go to offgirl.com to check out excerpts, download the digital version, and order yourself a print copy today. Off Girl at offgirl.com. Whoa, dudes, Michelangelo here from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original one. Yeah, and you are listening to Candare Podcast. It happens to be a tribute to comics and pop culture like yours truly, Cowabunga! Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley, and I am joined by a special guest here in the studio, Mr. Ryan Donahoe. Hello, hello. And uh, we are doing kind of a uh, special little episode here, very, very themed, very themed toward the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, specifically the new comic, The Last Ronin. We've been waiting on this one for a while, haven't we? Oh, geez. When we started talking about it six, seven, eight months ago? At least. And then COVID came along and just like everything else, fucked everything up. And uh, But it was worth the wait. Well worth the wait. Uh, excited. We're going to be talking about it. And then uh, after we're talk- done talking about it, we're going to welcome co-creator Kevin Eastman in. And uh, we're going to talk with him about it. So excited. Very excited. Very excited. Very turtle-themed episode. And you know I like talking <laughs> turtles. I know you do, too. Oh, yeah. So before we do all that, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandairPod and on Instagram at Can underscore Air. And if you like what we're doing, want to show some support, head over to our website, CandairPodcast.com. And on there, you can go to our Patreon page. I mean, you can find us on Patreon, but there's a link on our website that'll take you right there. And uh, $5 a month gets you access to the Candare Patreon pod, a show we only put out there once a month. And there's over two years of uh, material there, people. So... A deep well to take from. And also, we have merchandise on there. Uh, lots of ways for you to uh, give us your money. So head over to candarepodcast.com. And uh, don't forget to check out uh, Jack and Randy's show on, I think it's on Facebook Live. They play Jackbox and have people come in and play with them. They have a good time, and people seem to have a good time with them. So check it out. Check it out. It's Tuesday nights at 9 o'clock. And I think that's going to do it. So let's just get right into this talking about The Last Ronin. Ryan, initial impressions of this book. Ooh, um, I love everything about it. Really quick, actually, (laughs) before we start, one thing I forgot to say is uh, this is going to be full of spoilers. If you have not read the Mm. book yet, you don't want to be spoiled and turn off now and wait till you have because we are not we are going to be divulging details here. So, all right. Now, with that out there, Ryan, (laughs) go ahead. Impressions of the book. This won't be spoiler free. (laughs) <laughs> I, I would say everything about it. I mean, the artwork's fantastic. The story just kind of mm-hmm. continuous throughout. I think it gives you everything we were hoping for. And also, I mean, the the escape from New York kind of setting. Oh, yeah. And the snake 
Pliskin, you know, reference. I mean, oh, that, yeah. that pulled me in. I, I was, when I read that, I had to stop for about five minutes because I just kept kind of chuckling to myself. Yeah. Like, kind of snake. Because you were already, like, kind of half thinking it. But <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, to the people who don't know, what The Last Ronin is, is a, uh, it's a new, I believe it's a five-part series. I believe, That yeah. is being done by uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, mm-hmm. the two original creators who haven't uh, written anything together in some time. Not to my knowledge, anyway. I could be incorrect about that, but to my knowledge, 15, it's... 15, 20 years, somewhere. Anyway. Long time, anyway. Yeah. And uh, not only are those two together, but they brought in Tom Waltz, who, hmm. if you've been reading the IDW series, I mean, I, regular listeners of the show probably getting sick of me saying it, but Tom Waltz is the shit. Tom Waltz <laughs> is one of the definitive uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle writers. I, the best I've ever seen, personally. work. And so to have the three of them together... I mean, been frothing at the mouth for this book. It's I like to call it the Holy Trinity of Turtle writing, like mm. Eastman, Laird, Waltz. Does it get any better than that? Anyway, what this book is about to look into the future uh, with one last surviving turtle. Everyone else is gone. And uh, I guess that was just the gist that we got before we got the comic. Sure. So, uh, you know, when you start the comic and start reading it, you get a futuristic look at New York City, which is all walled up, uh, huge, huge foot, uh, like headquarters in the middle of town. You know, Shredder, I guess, always had his like skyscraper base. But right. This is like next level. This is like oceans of risen, like and... twenty square city blocks of a fortress. But uh, like very downtown Manhattan, maybe. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess like where Central Park would probably, or no, maybe south of Central Park, maybe Times Squareish area. But who knows? This is uh, what thirty years in the future. Right. I don't know. But yeah, like it's it's. I guess the look at the future is kind of like a Back to the Future's look at the future. You know, flying cars and flying. stuff. <laughs> and uh, not that there's dystopian, anything. You know. Yeah, but I, I mean, I like their their use of the medium. Um, very, like you were saying, very uh, snake. Uh, what snake Pliskin? Yes, escape from New York. Yes, yeah. very, very that kind of a feel. But, um, you know, being that he's by himself, he's infiltrating New York City, this lone last Ronin turtle. Would you say he's a real lone wolf? Ooh, Ooh. I think I might, McQuaid. <laughs> but um, you just get a lot of, like, personal dialogue narrated, you know, like what he's thinking, what his plans are going to be. But then you keep seeing word bubbles come from behind him. Right. Different perspectives. Well, you sure you want to do that? Well, that's a long way up there. Oh, man, what if you fall, you know? He's just kind of scratching for a minute, like, is someone with him? Or? Yeah, who the hell's back there? Right. And then you realize it's he's hearing in his head what, you know, his brothers would be telling him. And there's a cool shot somewhere. I'm trying to look for it where he's hiding in an alley. Uh, After he comes out of the building, maybe? I don't remember. He's hiding in an alley, and you can see just the faintest of silhouettes of the three turtles behind him, younger, like in their red bandanas, but like... I think it's before he goes in, but it's before he ends up out in the sewers, yeah. I'm not sure where it's at. It doesn't matter. The listeners can't hear that. That's true. They can envision it. Yeah, yeah. And and essentially, the foot, who's in charge of the foot, is Karai's son, Shredder's grandson. I can't recall his name at the moment, but um, and it seems like he is the one who's responsible for the turtle's death. So he's, you know, the, this last Ronin. We'll get to who it is here in a little bit. I'm sure you already probably know. We didn't say already, did we? I don't think we did. We didn't say. No, not yet. But uh, 
you know, it's just him trying to get up to kill Shredder's grandson. Just to end it, end the feud. End the feud, yep. have his revenge. Yep. And uh, it doesn't go quite the way he had planned, but... I mean, he was doing a pretty damn good job. Yeah. I mean, really, I, I thought it was like, was this the last issue, first and last issue? And then obviously, you know, they could have ended yeah. there. Uh, it's just interesting. Uh, one, the look at the future. Two, the artwork. I love it. I love that he's wearing a black bandana. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's to help keep the mystery of who he is. But sure. we find out the very end, you know, as we he's supposedly on his deathbed. Right. Doing what? What were they? What? What do they call that? Like he had failed, and he had took a big oh, fall. Uh, and seppuku. Seppuku. Thank you. Yeah, seppuku. And is that what it's called? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah it's seppuku. It's where um, you take the the not not your long sword, but like a smaller knife. You yeah. In over and up to and cut your intestines open and let them. And that's so that your enemy doesn't get the the yep. satisfaction of your death, right? Mm-hmm. So seemingly at the end, he seems like he's failed. He goes to do that, but passes out or something before he can. Yeah, he didn't get that very, he didn't get too far. And when he wakes up, he's in a hospital bed with April O'Neil standing over him and uh, asking, are you all right, Michelangelo? Or no, who who are you talking to, Michelangelo? But there it is, the last Ronin, Michelangelo. I mean, this comic's been out for a little while now. You had your spoiler warning again, so if you're salty, you mind saying that you've had your time. Should should have bought it already. <laughs> <laughs> we waited a couple days. Damn it! I am anxious to see where the series. Where, where do you project? I mean, uh, coming out of these next four issues, I obviously I hope we'll see flashbacks to what happened. Sure. I've obviously, I think we will. But in those flashbacks, I think I hope we get to see all the turtles in their more mature state. You know, not just Michelangelo uh, at the moment of their death. Maybe, you know, I'm sure Splinter may have already been gone or something. But right. does that make sense what I'm saying? No, it does. I would hope to see that it would be in the future. They would all still be together. And then for whatever reason, Shredder's whiny uh, grandson decides whatever reason. My, my theory, <clears throat> excuse me, would be that the families get along. Something happens. They go against each other. I'm going to say Shredder's... What families? The uh, the Shredders and the Turtles families. Well, like, aren't they always against each other? They are, but I'm going to say like maybe they come together to build this new 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 York. Maybe it's just an idea, and then there's some kind of betrayal, and so mm, I can't see that. You don't see that? No, I can't see them working together on <laughs> for anything. I, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of wondering because the three. I doubt all three will be taken out at once. I just I don't know. No, like I wonder if they get. Tr- Tricked if they're well, that's what I'm thinking. Like, there's some kind of betrayal, like it's gonna or they be get horrendous. Tricked. Like, right. you know, when you think of uh, what was it, issue 43 of the IDW series, uh, Donatello's supposed death and shit was real there for a month, you know, but that was pretty graphic. You know, Bebop and Rocksteady caved his shell in with a sledgehammer, and when they find him at the end, you just Splinter's holding his head in his lap, and blood and like innards are running out the back of him, and uh, that was Waltz, you know. So, I have no doubt. And, you know, it, this is, you know, harking back to the Mirage days of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and when it was dark and gritty. Sure. So, again, with those three pistons firing, the Eastman Laird Waltz engine uh, on this book, I, I just, I can't see no matter what they do being disappointed. Maybe like a Red Wedding situation. What's that? Um, old, uh, from Game of Thrones where the, uh, under false pretenses they've, they're brought in and they think that they're safe. But really, it was an ambush. It was a trap. Oh, yeah. And, and they essentially murder everyone 
And okay, a, yeah. A, like a few people get away in this instance. Let's say it was uh, one of the turtles and April get away. Perhaps they were there. That's what I'm saying. Maybe maybe not getting along is the wrong way to say it, but maybe they're lured in under false pretenses. Shredder's uh, grandson, you know, brings them there or... Yeah, because he definitely takes credit for their deaths. Correct. Yeah. In this one, so that's that's what I'm thinking. Like, maybe. So we know it wasn't Shredder or Karai that right. did them. It was definitely the grandson. It was the so, grandson. So yeah, he he does something sneaky to lure them in there, and I bet he does something like that where he ambushes them, and 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 who even knows what his beef is? Well, I mean, he's he's a, he's a sake, right? Yeah, but I mean, at this point, like, I feel like there's more important things going on than killing the turtles. We don't know. I, I mean, mean the, that's a future we don't know. A walled-up New it, York City flying cars. It looks cars. pretty bad, you know. It looks pretty it looks horrendous. Pretty looks horrendous. I wouldn't want to live in that in that world, but I think that's really the point. Something I found really funny. The foot soldiers didn't get any smarter 30 years in the future. No. And they have a new look to them, too, don't they? I they mean, do. obviously I they like should because it. it's in the future. But And uh, also, uh, what was it? Uh, Stockman Tech, the flying <laughs> mousers and stuff. The flying mousers, um, the dogs that look like the Chippendale Rescue Ranger. Robo- robot dogs? Ro- robot yeah, dogs. they do. What well, was another inventor that created those? Kind of like Baxter Stockman. Yeah. Yeah, these foot soldiers are very high tech, like have like red visors and stuff. And. Man, it's pretty brutal. Like, there's a scene here, like, where he puts a katana straight through one of their necks. And I don't know if this is just armor, if they're actual robots. Maybe that was alluded to. Maybe it's like a human-robot hybrid. This reminds me a lot of, um... Do you remember in the 2003 Fox series, the first, like, season, I think it was? City at War? I don't remember what it was. But it was like the turtles were finally taking down the shredder. And they were like, there's no easy way to do this. There's not going to be sneaking in. They're like, we just have to make a diversion. Yes. And take this fucking this. building floor by floor by floor. It was giant towers. Well. Yeah. Yeah. To get there. And they ended up making a really awesome video game out of that, too. Like, a, you just, I think it was. Oh, yeah. the one on the GameCube. Yeah. I have that. That was a great game. That was a great game, yeah. But that's what, what that game was based on. You just are fighting right. your way up through Shredder, Shredder's Complex. And that's kind of the vibe you were getting here. Like, he would have done that, but he was trying to, like, uh, fling himself up, like, to a higher window to get closer to him. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably butchering this. I'm kind of flipping all over the book as I explain it. I don't want to just tell you everything as it happens. <laughs> you still got to read the book, even though we're dropping some spoilers here. But All right. Well, we, you know what the next episode is? It's just you reading it. You're just going to narrate every <laughs> issue for well, I, I could start reading it right now. But just the artwork is fan-freaking-tastic. Some of these variant covers look awesome, too. There's a few Eastman done uh, variant covers on there. I'm just very happy with this book. It turned out so freaking amazing. I mean, it's really, it's probably the first time in a very, very long time I've been excited about a comic book. Not that I haven't enjoyed the other series, but I haven't really kept up on it. And when I heard this was coming out, you initially explained it to me. I started reading up, and the more I read about it, very little that they released, Mm -hmm. the more excited I got about it. And yeah, I just, I I can't wait to see if this does well they do like another collaboration like that you know just not a an ongoing hundred odd issue plus series but just a small yeah. little oh five, i know i, I want to see the hundred issue plus for, are you talking eastman laird and waltz yeah yeah i'm so i want to see a it's, full on draw out i wouldn't mind seeing it i doubt it would happen that's why i was saying i'm more hopeful for something doubtful like this. right but 
Uh, I mean, if they're... I, you never know. If they tell this story and they want to keep the story going in this landscape, I'd be down. I mean, I would be money. down. <laughs> oh, yeah, no matter what they do. I just love seeing Michelangelo look old, look wrinkled in the face. Dude's got rippling biceps, but in age spots. Like, he looks haggard as fuck, you he know does. what I mean? I just... And so does April, I guess. I mean, she looks good for being as old as she is here, but... I love how they also kind of paid tribute to her yellow jumpsuit. I mean, she's not wearing a yellow jumpsuit, but that first shot that you see of her definitely makes you think of it. Right, right. You see it's just some kind of like a, a coat, like a parka thing. But anyway, uh, what else? Have you got anything else on this? I mean, nothing too much more. I mean, I, th- I feel everyone should go out and read it, anyone that's a fan of the, of the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would assume... You can still pick up and find copies, hopefully. It, it sounds like it's probably flying off the shelves. Yeah, I mean, like any uh, bookstore I went to, they had uh, signs out saying only one per customer because people were just coming in and buying them and throwing them straight on eBay for, like, oh, big money. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan So they only let you are, get one, and uh, they were very serious about it when I went in there. So it's a really nice book. It's it's bigger than your standard book, yep. you know, just like the classic Turtle books. It's, it's more like graphic novel quality than an actual actual like it's, it is it's not a stapled spine it's an actual like graphic novel spine much thinner than a graphic novel it reads like a graphic novel i mean everything about it is that just deep dark reminds you of batman and gotham and people being shot left and right yeah yeah very batman feel i just love it i'm sorry i know i keep having these moments of silence but i'm just flipping <laughs> through it and i'm just obsessed I cannot wait for the next issue and it's very detailed mm-hmm. i if i find that uh not not talking about the turtle comics, but some comics uh, in general that you see out in the store. Sometimes I'll pick them up and I'm like, "Oh, this looks good," and I'll start flipping through it. And there, there's no detail. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of just kind of washed out background. Or like the hook that got you to buy that comic is like the only cool thing in there. Like as right. soon as you get past it, you're like, "Oh, this is just kind of filler material." Yep. Or yeah, you don't get that uh, with uh, anything that I've seen Kevin Eastman's name on. Man, just to, like a such an appreciation for the comic medium. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, not only it's so hard, hard to explain. And I, maybe he's not I only a fan try. of comics himself, but also a writer. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't he doesn't just do it because it's a job. He does it because he loves it. Exactly. And, and, he, and he, he does it because he loved it because he loved it prior to doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and he does his own tributes yeah. to what he grew up with or enjoyed or, or what got him into it. That's, that's very obvious of what's going on. Yeah. So it's a great read. Uh, uh, we can't recommend it enough, I don't Absolutely. think. I mean, any listener of the show knows I'm going to toot any turtle horn. I get my uh, lips around. That sounded kind of gross. <laughs> and now joining us, the co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mr. Kevin Eastman himself. Kevin, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely thrilled to be here with you guys. Thanks for uh, making time and uh, looking forward to hanging out with you for a bit. There's one reason you're here. <laughs> the last Ronin, man. This has <laughs> been so refreshing. You know, COVID kind of pushed it back a little bit. I mean, it pushed life back. Everything got pushed back. But man, so worth the freaking wait. And I think it's something that uh, hardcore TMNT fans have kind of wanted to see. And I guess we have seen, you know, future stories of the Turtles, uh, maybe in the 90s. I think uh, Image did some touch their stories in there a little bit, but nothing quite like this so just curious you know was this an idea that you or peter or the both of you had around for a long time or did, how did this idea come to be no it's great it is one of those things that um you know when you know when you 
arrive at a, a lifespan of a property, especially the turtle now, you know, ending up you know, 30, 35 years, 36 years old, um, you know, you feel like sometimes that um, every idea has been, you know, um, thought of, explored, and uh, executed in some way, shape, and form. But um, in this particular instance, it was actually, um, this is, you know, solidly based on um, a story that Peter and I wrote back in 1987. We were um, getting towards the end of, I think it was around issue 11, and we were looking down the road to sort of where are we going to go with the turtles next, and we spun this idea together where, hey, let's look 30 years down the road, which funny that it would have been 2017 right. <laughs> at that time. <laughs> um, and we said, let's see where they would be at this time period, and then that will help us perhaps navigate a path um, of getting from here to there, should we be so lucky. And so, um, you know, uh, as it turned out, um, that was the same year that uh, we, we we started developing the toys, started developing the uh, animated series, and suddenly, you know, um, the idea of this story uh, unfortunately drifted uh, a bit. So um, here we, you know, fast forward to 2018, and Tom Waltz and I... Uh, uh, working on the IDW comic series, we're looking down the road towards um, issue 100, which came out in December 2019, and we were sort of like, well, where do we go from here um, after issue 100? And I pulled the story out, and I said, you know, this is something Peter and I originally wrote. Let's take this structure. It had a beginning, middle, and end. Um, let's take this structure, um, revise it, and adapt it, and then look, you know, 20, 25 years down the road, um, uh, for turtles and, and tell a story that is not specific to, say, an IDW universe or any other turtle universes, but obviously leans strongly and heavily uh, directly towards the original Mirage Studios universe. And so that's where our work began. And um, the timeliness just seemed perfect because um, the, the kind of story we wanted to tell, the intensity, and, and to me, it was for Tom and I both, it was a, a love poem to. Um, all things Mirage Studios, that original series, you know, right down to everything based in what Peter and I created in Turtles Issue 1 is a critical and important foundational structure to what we're doing in the last Ronin series. So it's sort of a, it's carrying it all the way through to the end for what was started all those years ago. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we could not be more excited. We could not be more pumped. And uh, the reception, you know, you guys gave us a, a welcome home, like, is just blowing my mind it's just been it's super uh, exciting what the, the response has been it's so amazing to uh you know hear you say that uh, because it seeps through on the pages the 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 mirage days especially um and mind you i'm going to put a spoiler alert at the beginning of this I, I i would like to talk a little bit of spoilers but that last page of the book here uh or the the issue one where you uh, see april uh walk in with uh, michelangelo in bed there like I don't know why, just that panel, like for some reason, screamed like old Mirage to me. And I don't know. There were other things in the book that aren't coming to mind right off the top of my head. But for you to, you know, be writing with Peter again and to bring uh, Tom into the mix, I guess what was it? Was it very familiar uh, space that you were working in, or was it like a whole new collaboration? What was it like uh, working in this environment again? You know, I, I look at it like my career in that um, I stand on the shoulders of giants. And, and by saying that, it's like guys like Jack Kirby and Frank Miller and so many others that inspired me to even get into this business. So, um, it, and it, this will sound kind of funny and almost a little weirdly meta, but it's sort of like, you know, what Peter and I did, our love and passion for all things comics, especially our mutual uh, hero, Jack Kirby, 
all that went into those original um, Mirage Studios comic books. So the fact that we're revisiting some of those same feelings and some of those same emotions um, with this series has just been, you know, it, it really gives you goosebumps. You know, me personally, as a as a, as a writer, co-creator, writer, and what we're doing gives me goosebumps, and and and, and I'm excited. Like I've never, you know, like like the early days, if you will. So, um, and one of the things that we really wanted to specifically design was, uh, um, you, you, and I, I don't want to give spoilers, um, but I'm going to say that you know the intensity of like we, you know, like Tom and I designed that the last word in issue one is going to be Michelangelo. So that's when all the fans are going to find out who the last Ronin is. But you're going to see things in each of issue two, three, four, and right down to five that will take you back to some of those Mirage series moments. And, and uh, I'm saying too much already. Um, you'll get it when you see it, but it's, uh, it's, it's, we're paying, it's like we're paying respects to, um, you know, that original creation. And it's been, it's been a blast. I feel like it's, um, it's something new, but it's still, it feels like going home. It's kind of like, um, you know, we really did specifically model it after um, uh, like dark Knight because, even though Dark Knight was set in a very specific Batman universe, it was not set in any ongoing detective comics or Batman ongoing series, but it was sort of reflective of all things Batman, but sort of set in this place in space in a universe that we found very welcoming and familiar and exciting because it was our some of our favorite characters, uh, heroes and villains. Um, and that's that's the approach that we really took to, um, to The Last Ronin. I was just kind of curious, Kevin. Uh... Was it always going to be Michelangelo? Yes. Okay. Yep. No, it was, and I, and I say that so I mean, confidently because it was uh, Michelangelo was even before he was named Michelangelo. The first turtle drawn, you know, all those years ago was a turtle standing upright. He had nunchucks strapped to his arms and a, mm-hmm. and a, and a, and a bandana, a mask on. Um, and so before he was even named Michelangelo, um, I still consider him the, the firstborn. And so when we looked at you know the other possibilities, which um, you know, are all, you know, obviously we love them all dearly. Michelangelo not only represented that ism, the being the firstborn, but as a, as a writer and a storyteller, when you look at the the story arc of taking a character that is, you know, uh, say more more easygoing and, and lovable and kind of a, a bit of a goofball in, in so many aspects and certainly so many different turtle versions of him, um, to have him make this story arc that is, so deep and so tense and so intense and so you know it, it just goes against everything that he is that we know about him so we already love him we already feel bad for him so it's like it's watching michelangelo going to a war zone so to speak and it does change you and affects you and you know losing family members affect you and, and so yeah it's, it's a, it was an interesting study of one of our favorite uh, lovable turtles and, and putting him to a pace where he's gone back to the source of I'm here to represent family, honor, and um, I'm, I'm going to end this once and for all for all of my family. And that was at least the driving force behind, behind the, the story. Such a perfect pick. I mean, I don't think there's really any other turtle it could be. You know, he's the most uh, young at heart, I guess, and would have, you know, the toughest journey dealing with all this. You know, Raph already seems like so much of a loner. I mean, not that this wouldn't weigh on him, but um, again, the the story just wouldn't be nearly as interesting if it uh, weren't Michelangelo, I think. I mean, you'd still have no, my money no, no matter what is. turtle you picked. But. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're going to, you, you know, I think it's, you know, you're going to, um, 
as the series goes on there, you know, we wanted the intensity of what we did in issue one, which is practically I, I designed it as one long fight scene. But there's going to be um, that's that's part of our homage to the original Mirage series, where the issues are 40 pages each. They're um, slightly oversized. Um, it's harkening back to those days that uh, you know um, th those original Mirage Studios days. So, um, but there will be that level of intensity um, pretty much in each issue, right down to the end. So it, it, it gives me goosebumps, and and you know I don't say that often about stuff that I do, but this is this is this one's pretty exciting. I'm, I'm pretty pretty thrilled. I'm excited myself. And, and one thing I uh, picked up on in this book, uh, you know, we uh, we were lucky enough to cover uh, Drawing Blood when you guys were running Kickstarters for that. And again, Bravo on that project was fantastic. But um, one thing that uh, we Thank picked you. up on and had kind of talked about was uh, during the Drawing Blood, Blood book, excuse me, let's try to say that five times fast, Drawing Blood book. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, Ben Bishop did the main art. And then when uh, the character Shane Bookman would have a uh, have a memory, you know, it would cut to your artwork and was made to look uh, gritty, you know, maybe uh, showing not the best of memories that he's uh, stepping into. And I noticed in this book there was kind of uh, the reversal of that where uh, it cuts to Ben Bishop's art but the dream sequence is uh you know since it's it seems to be a happy memory one that he misses very bright and airy and warm and inviting and thanks for picking up on that and i'm so glad that you mentioned uh, ben because that's been that was our surprise that we were waiting uh, you know when we finally get to announce issue two um as ben being added to the team was that uh, you know first and foremost finding the Escoza brothers, uh, Isaac and Esau, who um, worked with me for uh, worked with me uh, over at Heavy Metal, they were just the perfect art team and brought this project to bear in such a, a level of grittiness that has just been, you, you know, it's like I look at the stuff that they when I, so I do the, you know, Tom and I do the writing and I do the layouts and then they will send me in pages that they've done and I'm like, holy hell, that's awesome. But with uh, Ben, I guess if you put it into, um, uh, I brought Ben in specifically because if you look at say the main body of the story being, quote-unquote, if you would imagine, Dark Knight, um, I wanted Ben to represent the um, Batman year one sort of ism. So I, Ben's got that style that will bring to bear, as he does some of the flashbacks in issues two, three, and four, um, that I wanted some of uh, this takes you back to how they got to where they are now and how everything got to where it is now. And I specifically picked Ben to do those sequences. And uh, what's funny is the one that he does <laughs> in issue one was very specifically a candy-coated dream sequence that um, you won't see that in some of the other flashbacks, but we I wanted Ben to do that scene specifically. So it really, it really worked out well. So I, right. I'm super thrilled that you guys picked up on that. That's, that's really awesome. Yeah, and it, uh, just taking full advantage of your medium. You know, it's, it's amazing. I absolutely love it. Um, well, we won't uh, keep you much longer here. Just one quick question for you here. Uh, the possibility of this holy turtle trinity of yourself, uh, Peter Laird, and Tom Waltz. You know, is your guys' collaborating going to go past The Last Ronin, or is this just uh, it's a contained project? Well, you know, that's a great question because it is one of those things that we, you know, when we started developing and building the world of The Last Ronin, um, it was exactly that. It was like um, I designed a lot of the sets and the set pieces of what New York, look, New York would look like, the, 
um, you know, the, the, the ecological effects of the oceans rising. And so now it's this kind of bald city kind of thing and the effects that that would have. And just, so I designed everything. And so as you sort of get more and more immersed of what the city, which is just as an important character as any of the other characters in it, the city that they, they live in, you start falling in love with it. And so Tom and I have, you know, one of the things that we kick the tires is like, hey, you know, if this was you know, successful if people really liked it. I bet we could tell other stories in this, but um, you know, it's one of those things that you're like, well, we don't even know if anybody's going to even like it. So, um, you know, having it just come out and hit the stands October 28th, and uh, we've been, um, and I cannot stress enough, um, blown away, overwhelmed, humbled. Um, the response has been so incredible that uh, it's it's more than we hoped for. We were just sort of like, you know, hey, if we can put this out and bring in some of the original encore ongoing fans and they find something cool in it and um you know hopefully they'll hang with us as we go through the whole rest of the four issues and complete the series um but um by all means if um if we do our job well and uh um, i'd love to see some some more stories told in this um this specific uh, environment and this uh dimension if you will because it is sort of like it feels like a, a different dimension in, in other ways but it is definitely in more studio, so um, right. But, yeah. Well, we are definitely yeah, hoping so. to. I mean, this issue one is firing on all cylinders, so cannot wait to see the rest, Kevin. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us tonight, man. It's been a pleasure. Yes, thank you. My absolute pleasure. And hey, guys, listen. Um, you know, we've got to about seven or eight months. Um, probably, well, actually a little bit more. Actually, about seven or eight months till we finish the series. So why don't you circle back and? Uh, Let's talk again in a couple months, and you can give me a report card. Let me know how we're doing. <laughs> See if we're still on track. So, I would love to. That'd be uh, awesome. So, well, I appreciate it. So enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, thank you. All right. And that, once again, was Kevin Eastman. Uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, we can't uh, tell you enough. Get this freaking book. I'm sure you'll be able to find one. I wouldn't buy one off eBay. Check your local store first. Go get more Don't in. support those fucking people who are... You know, buying them up and then reselling them at like triple the cost. Like, go yeah. see if your comic book store has it because, yeah, it was a popular book and they did have restrictions on it. But the stores I went to also seemed to know that there was going to be a demand and yeah. they had a lot of copies. So just check them out. Get it for eight ninety nine instead of fifty nine ninety nine. <laughs> right. right? So I think that's going to do it for this episode. So once again, don't forget to find us at CandarePodcast.com where you can check out uh, old shows, uh, special guests we've had on, our Patreon page, our merch page, everything there in one little package. And we're also on Twitter at CandarePod and on Instagram at Cand underscore Air. Uh, what else should I be saying here? Jack and Randy's uh, game show, the Jackbox show, Facebook Live Tuesday nights at 9 o'clock. Man, that was hard to get that out for some reason. Yeah, I don't know why I was having so much trouble. And I think that's probably going to do it, unless you had any uh, last words. Just support your local comic book shop. Don't support the scalpers. No. When it comes to comics or toys or anything. No. No, don't do it, people. Don't even support the online uh, subscription services, I feel, if you can get it locally. If you can get it locally, you can yeah. get it locally. I mean, I, if that's I, your only option. I just prefer to do that just because I want the paper in hand, the excitement of actually getting it, well, picking it up. stay around. Yeah. 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 If you, if you want that opportunity to even go peruse, browse, mm-hmm. to pick it up day of and not get it in the mail, then up, support your local comic book stores. Yeah, because I can't imagine this uh, format surviving, you know, 100% digitally. No. 
There's something about having that paper in your hand, right? I prefer, yeah, it's one of the mediums I still prefer to have in my hand. Exactly. Looking at it online, it doesn't do it for me. I've been there, but it's only when I can't find the paper. Right. So, all right, I think that's going to do it. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. And I am Ryan Donahill. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and be excellent to each other. Cheers. Bye. To approach a stray dog, especially one that's foaming at the mouth. Get away from the animal as quickly as you can and tell a grown-up. And knowing is half the battle. This has been a Canned Air production. The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War, but half a century earlier, the United States was locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains. We'll discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality of the fighting, and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency. Check out our show, Ohio vs. the World, on the Evergreen Podcast Network for our new episode about America's most forgotten war. Now back to the show.